0: coming up to 7:34 uh, alternate facts has been the buzz hashtag on social media after Donald Trump's aide Kellyanne Conway used the term to defend the new American president's press secretary Sean Spicer that was Sunday American time uh, seemingly inaccurately referring to Trump's inauguration crowd as the largest ever uh, so uh, is this really the state of play in our post truth world? Let's welcome on the line an academic who's carried out the first major study on fake news and its impact on Trump's presidential election victory Professor Hunt Olcott, Department of Economics, New York University. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Um, just first, what are your thoughts on the Trump administration's use of alternate facts as a way perhaps ah. of bending the truth?
1: Right. Well, my read of the data from fact-checking sites is that all politicians lie sometimes and Trump lies more than others. But I think what's key for us to keep in mind as citizens is that we want to make sure we don't get distracted by minor mistruths or minor lies. So I don't really actually care what the president's Twitter background photo is or how many people actually attended the inauguration, and I think debates about this uh, may actually intentionally be used by the administration to distract people from other things. I care a lot more about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I care a lot more about climate change.
0: Understandably so, but but there is surely this feeling that if a president or his administration is prepared to be so brazen as to use Barack Obama's inauguration. Image and to uh, state that uh, records have been broken, uh, or that Obama's uh, inauguration crowds have been beaten, that it is also therefore prepared to make bigger lies. That's the suggestion, I guess.
1: Uh, Yes, and I I too am concerned by that, and I I want us to focus on you know the bigger lies in your language. I I think that's the uh, I think that's the deeper question.
0: Okay, so. uh, just another quick point before we get into your study. The whole discussion of fake news and alternate facts, it plays into this idea of a post-truth world. But has the world really changed that much, or is, is it just that social media is feeding more lies?
1: I, I think that's a great question. And I would say that I'm of two minds on that question. I think, on the one hand, the fact that everybody's so concerned about fake news now suggests that the truth is still something that we value a lot as a society so you know that suggests that truth is still important on the other hand a trend that really does concern me is that over the last 40 years americans have reported trusting institutions and trusting the mainstream media less and less so at this point in a recent poll about half of democrats and only 14% of Republicans say that they trust the mainstream media. And these numbers are way down since the 1970s. I think this is a deeper concern when we think about our ability to come to a set of common facts that we agree on as a society.
0: Yeah, and and we also presumably have to distinguish between Actual fake news or inaccurate news that comes from media outlets and social media posts. I mean, I could go on Twitter right now and one of the people I follow might say that North Korea has done something or other with an ICBM. It might get my heart racing for a few moments. Then check some credible websites, don't see anything. I'll probably put it to one side, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, yeah, we all as citizens have a variety of sources that we... Consider when we form opinions, we have our friends and our co-workers and the mainstream media and social media and everything else. And so I think we need to continue applying the, the sort of critical thinking that that, that you uh, are applying to your friends. We all need to, to continue to do that. Uh,
0: so um, you actually collected a, a database of fake news stories that were shared before the election that seemed to favor Donald Trump. And you also favored, uh, sorry, you also surveyed uh, more than a thousand Americans about them. Can you just tell us a bit more about how you conducted this research and, and why we can buy into it?
1: Sure, absolutely. Uh, so this was work that we started. Actually, uh, this was a rapid response research article that we started uh, in the weeks in the week after the election. We started uh, from the perspective that we, as the researchers, didn't want to be the arbiters of what was true and false. And so, just as a, in the sense of defining fake news, we relied on third-party fact-checking websites, Uh, and in the U.S. these are called uh, PolitiFact.com and Snopes.com, and there are several others. And so we used these websites and what they deemed to be true and false Mm. to then gather a database of uh, things that they had deemed to be false. We also, and this was probably the most fun part of the research, we made up our own placebo fake news <laughs> headlines. These were things that were, were not true that had never circulated uh, on social media, but we put them into the survey as sort of a... We put them into the mix. And so then we had a database of uh, headlines that were true, headlines that were deemed fake by fact-checkers, and these placebo headlines that were, fa- that were false that we had made up.
0: And, and, and- then we took... Go ahead. I just wanted to clarify on that point. Was the actual uh, fake news and the placebo fake news, were these rather frivolous or were they major stories?
1: So there were... It depends on your definition of frivolous. Right. You know, I can give you a couple examples. I mean, yeah. these, They tend not to be major stories because a major story is something that, like, if it had actually been in the media, you would have actually seen it. And so... Most much of the fake news that's out there really tends to be stuff that's like a little bit secondary, but still big enough, you know, that it might impact your your views. So, you know, a couple of examples. One uh, was that uh, Donald Trump had groped a celebrity named RuPaul at a party in the nineteen nineties, and this circulated after some of the the groping scandal or the the groping scandals. Uh, another one was that ireland had opened up its doors to uh to u.s uh citizens to ask for political asylum to move to ireland so you know these two examples are are sort of fun they're sort of secondary they're minor but like if you saw them and they played into your narrative of the world they could then influence your beliefs about the candidate
0: yeah I i i wonder what your thoughts are just briefly as an aside here on whether the more ridiculous or outrageous the fake news, the more believable it is. Because, I mean, you know, that RuPaul example, it might be fake, but it, it just seems so ridiculous that, and, and so random that it doesn't feel made up. Yeah, I, I, think that's,
1: I think that's a valid point. And a related point is how do we think about the Onion? So The Onion, for many of your listeners who know or don't know The Onion, is a in the U.S. a major satirical website yes. that most people I know know to be just pure satire. It's, it's purely made up. Now, when I read The Onion, I know it's not true, and we didn't count The Onion as being fake news because we classified it as satire that was broadly recognized to be satire. Mm-mm. But that doesn't mean that The Onion isn't persuasive. Right, so when I see a funny headline or satire or The Daily Show, which I know to be satire as well, these things all help me to form opinions. So I think it's not just fake news, but there's lots of different forms of satire and bizarre satire, believable satire that, that can influence how we vote.
0: Really interesting topic, this. Um, but what were your findings?
1: Right. So we had gathered this database of true headlines, Fake headlines that circulated and placebo headlines. And then we gave this mix of headlines to about 1,200 people uh, in the US via an online survey. We then took the results, and as an aside, in an online survey, you get people that are not necessarily representative. So in any survey like this, you'll reweight the sample to look more like the national population. And then we asked after that reweighting, how many people have heard these different headlines and how many people believe them? And a the remarkable thing was, so about fourteen percent of people, on average, reported hearing the typical fake news headline. And so that would suggest there's a lot of fake news out there if any one article is being seen by fourteen percent of people. But the average placebo headline that we made up that had never circulated, Report was reported seen by about, I think, a 13% of people. And so this is actually a little bit of a research methodology issue. There's a lot of noise in how people respond to surveys. And so mm-hmm. we think of this as differencing, using the placebo to measure how much random noise there is in the surveys and then differencing that out and saying 14% minus 13%, maybe 1%, a very small share of people have seen the average fake news article.
0: I mean, the bottom line here is whether fake news can influence elections. We're about to come into our own presidential election in Korea this year. There has been a huge amount of chatter on social media about the ongoing scandal surrounding our impeached leader at the moment. Um, How concerned would you be that that this will continue to be a problem?
1: I think it's a great question. In our calculations, the bottom line is we don't see enough fake news out there in the U.S. in 2016 for that to have plausibly impacted enough votes to have swung the election. Now, there are lots of caveats to that result, and clearly it could be different in any other country with different persuasiveness of fake news and different amounts of fake news floating around mm. out there. But I think for me, one of the big takeaways was that You know, it's not just fake news that we're worried about. So if I'm thinking about an election and thinking about, you know, what to think about in other countries, fake news is an issue. But I think a much bigger issue is slanted, distorted, filtered, partisan news. And then when we as individual citizens only read the news from one side.
0: Yes. So in the U.S.,
1: am I only getting news from Huffington Post, a left-leaning website, or am I only getting news from Breitbart, a right-leaning website? Right. And to the extent that we can gather news from all websites, I think we'll be in much better shape.
0: Well, I mean, I'm sure we've all got friends who will consistently share the same sources, (laughs) uh, whether it be Huffington Post or whatever it happens to be. But... I just wonder, Professor Olcott, whether you think it's possible to tap into the subconscious here. Um, for example, you know, you might have seen a few slanted or even fake news stories. You might have seen a few friends posting about Donald Trump. That subconsciously could m- really inform how you vote without it being a conscious thing.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think there's a, a ton of interesting, there are many interesting questions about you know, what is it that form that helps us to form our opinions? And is it something about us growing up? Is it something about the interactions that we're having with our friends? Is it the stuff that we remember reading in the news or is it stuff that we read in the news and forgot? So I think these are these are super, super deep questions. But in the US election, one of the interesting things this year was that we're you know, it's not clear how these impressions were formed, but many people of course this year formed impressions of the candidates very very early on and so this was one of the elections where people had were the most decide where there were the fewest undecided voters I
0: yeah well I, th- I think uh we can just look all around us and i'm sure on a few echo chambers near us people have already decided that donald trump's going to take us into world war three um it's not happened yet professor Olcott, thank you very much for joining us Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the line. It, I think a study like this, doesn't it, it, it raises so many more questions in our own mind, but the conclusion surely is that we have to take it upon ourselves to uh, bring some critical thinking into our own lives. Uh, Professor Hunt Olcott there from New York University, if you want to check that out in more detail, and uh, indeed if you want to apply it to Korean affairs as well, because we are going to presidential election year, people do seem to have decided on the guilt, for example, of President Pakhané. She may well be guilty, but has she been found guilty in the courts yet? It's a a point that's been made repeatedly. Uh, But it's not a very popular one. You can text us right now, pounder sharp, 1013, for 51 per message.